want to share the ascension story. I ended with this. Um, then he said to them, Jesus, in verse uh, Luke 24, don't you remember the words that I spoke to you when I was still with you? I told you that everything written about me would be fulfilled, including all the prophecies from the law of Moses through the Psalms and writings of the prophets, and they would all find their fulfillment. This next verse is critical. If I can go to the next slide real quick, if you can just do that for me. My hands are half full. Um, uh, so we're down. We're in there. Yeah, it's coming. Okay. Um, he ends here. This next sentence is really important. In verse 45, I believe it is. He was, he supernaturally, Jesus supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the scriptures. Then he said to them, everything that has happened fulfills what was prophesied of me, Christ, the Messiah, was destined to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Now you must go into all the nations and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins so they, will so they will turn to me. Start right here in Jerusalem, for you are my witnesses and have, been, sorry, and have seen for yourselves all that has transpired. And I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. So stay here in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. Hmm. See, I'm going to guess, and I think I'm right, that uh, we've forgotten some of the small details. Or either we never heard of them, or they were never shared with us properly. But when Jesus opens their eyes, uh, the word here, supernaturally unlocked their understanding. That has got to be a lesson for us. A big lesson especially when you're mad at somebody else that doesn't see your point of view, okay? Especially when it comes to theology or when you talk about God or, or your belief about him or you're trying to help somebody who doesn't believe in God to get them to believe in God and you find all these convincing arguments and you show, send them all these video clips of, of this and that to prove your point, push, 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 stop it. What's the point? Just love them. Don't have an ulterior motive to get them to come to your side. The dark side. You know, may the fourth be with you. We just had that. But the whole point here is Jesus unlocked their minds. It's Jesus who has unlocked your mind. There are people who've come to Hope Fellowship that say, I just don't get it. I, I want to believe, but I can't. Well, I can't open their mind. Neither can you. They're not ready. Jesus has got them. It's okay. For your kids, my kids, for relatives, for loved ones, for neighbors that we're praying for, Lord, let them see the light. You know that song, I see the light. Well, maybe because of that song they don't. But anyway, um, just kidding, unless you like that style. <laughs> but the point is, it is God who does the revealing, not your fanciful words and right translations. Not the right interpreters, not the right apologetics videos or books, not the right tracks, nothing. It is Jesus. Because we have proven a point over the last six to eight weeks, or nine weeks, that Jesus has been telling them over and over and over again what was going to happen, that he's going to the cross, that he's going to raise from the dead. And none of them caught it. It took to right now, right now. Oh, now I get it, because God opened their mind to understand. So... Oh, that means there's hope for you and I, too. 
there, there's a lot we don't understand. And it's okay. Yeah, but I, that part's really bugging me. So, how about move on to something else until the Holy Spirit makes that alive in you? I remember a number of years ago when I first discovered uh, what it means to know my identity in Christ. It's almost 20 years ago now. For six months, I called every pastor, teacher, leader, guy. I watched all kinds of videos. I bought the resources, the conference, and rewatched and rewatched. And man, I'm searching for answers because how does this fit into what I've learned? <laughs> it doesn't, but that's okay. I tried super hard. And I was going through some crises in my life. And, and uh, uh, it was like God tapped me on the shoulder one day and said, So, how's your search going? <laughs> It's hard. Yeah, no kidding. Um, how about let me take care of that? How about let me be your revealer? Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to understand. But I have a desire to. That's great. I put it in you. Oh. Hmm. This walk of grace is far more restful than we've been told. You don't have to be able to explain to everybody. You do not have to answer your perspective to anyone. Why do you believe that? It's my lens, my journey. Yeah, but the Bible says be ready at any time to give an answer. Well, I have an answer for my hope. I don't have to give you an answer that I can prove and dialogue my theology. How many people sit and study that much? Very few. So rest. Don't look at the people who can memorize their Bibles. So many people know Bible verses off the top of their head. Don't be impressed by that, people. Be impressed by someone who lives out grace, not who can speak it, teach it, and quote it. If you see it in their lives, that's cool. But it's Jesus who does the revealing. And when I stopped trying, within the next three months, all kinds of stuff started to make sense. Like, what? I could not have gotten this. This verse. This little dinky little verse made such a difference, reminding me, huh, this is all God. Well, then there's this next thing called a, um, an ascension. Jesus led the disciples out of Bethany. He lifted his hands over them and blessed them in his love. And while he was still speaking words of love and blessing, he floated <laughs> off the ground into the sky ascending into heaven before their very eyes. And all they can do was worship him. Overwhelmed and ecstatic with joy, they made their way back to Jerusalem. Every day they went to the temple, praising and worshiping God. Who would have liked to have seen that? One, I think one of the stories, that might be in John, um, they're all standing there going, and the angel says, what are you guys looking at? We'll see if we get to it. I don't think we'll get to it today, but it's pretty funny. It just Again, you've got to remember who these kids were. These late teens, young adults, these disciples, these individuals who just had a revelation. Oh my goodness. You know, to see their Jesus go up. It says here they're full of joy. I, th I wonder if some of them might have been sad. But, 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 but. Right? Hmm. Let's look at another version of the story. From the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the synoptic gospels because they have similar stories that follow a similar pattern with slight detail changes. And the reason we're going through all four of these books is so you can see there is a variety of perspectives. 
If a police officer shows up or a detective shows up at a major crime scene, um, they're going to interview different people to what their perspective was. And they're going to get 15 people, let's say, giving their lens of what they saw, and they're going to get 15 different stories. There'll be some similarities and overlaps, but they're going to be from a different perspective. Yep, it's, it's crazy. I saw a, a dumb video of a, um, uh, there was a woman who was recording a police officer taking down a, a teen. And uh, I'm watching the video. She's, oh, he just slammed him down the ground. Whoa, did you see that? I watched the video. There was no slamming. Like, just the over-dramatization. So imagine the cop then asking her, what you see? Oh, man, he got boom, yeah. Oh, it was terrible. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, these, there are different lenses. Our lenses matter. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each bring a different perspective. And here is the beauty of different stories. The people who put these books together, however it was done, we don't have time for that history lesson today, it showed the integrity of having varying stories instead of fixing it to make sure they all say the same thing. Just like uh, guys that did something bad and they're about to you know, have to talk to the cops, hey, let's collaborate our story so we're all saying the same thing, right? That, that didn't happen here. They just shared their four different lenses and they're powerful. John's is very different. If you want to start reading any of the books in the Bible, begin with the book of John. It's the most beautiful book when it comes to a relational connection with Jesus. Shares many of the same stories, but it's done from the disciple who loved Jesus, John. We find that out at the end of the book. So his lens here on the empty tomb. John chapter 20. You're going to love this. Uh, The woman. This is where it begins. Very early Sunday morning, before sunrise, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. When she arrived and discovered that the stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb was moved away, uh, she went running as fast as she could to go tell Peter and the other disciples, the one who loved Jesus. She told them, they've taken the Lord's body from the tomb. We don't know where he is. She went assuming. This is the first time we hear the, what's going on here? She shows up and she thinks he's been taken because she, this is freaky for her. Well, this is a funny part of the story. Okay. Then Peter and the other disciple jumped up and ran to the tomb to go see for themselves. They started out together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Why is that line even in there? Is it that important in history to know John kicked Peter's butt in a race? Do we have to know that? John thought so. <laughs> I thought it was great. All right. Love it, love it, love it. But John didn't enter the tomb, but peeked in. Okay, all these little details to me were fascinating as I began to read it more slowly. That's why hopefully it's fun for you to to hear all these little details that you may not have ever bothered to care about uh, or have forgotten. Uh, So he peeked in and saw only the linen cloths lying there. Then Peter came behind him and went right in the tomb. Now that's Peter. At least he was honest. I beat you, but you ran in. <laughs> so very interesting that Peter, with all of his gumption, goes in right away. This is true to his character. See, there are different personality types, and it's okay. We all have value. <laughs> then Peter came behind and went right in the tomb. He too noticed the linen cloths lying there. But the burial cloth that had been on Jesus' head had been rolled up and placed separate 
from the other claws. I did a little, I did a little research, thanks to Lorinda, and uh, uh, people have been wondering, why? Why is that linen cloth set aside? Well, after a whole bunch of research, I realized there is no absolute evidence. There's some suggestion that it may have something to do with, you know, it's a sign that he's coming back. But historically, um, where do they get that analogy from? From a meal, sitting at a meal, and the master knows he's coming back, he folds up his food. That never happened in Jewish culture back then. That was, that was not a thing. They had a different setup for meal. But maybe they had some insight. They noticed it, and twice, each one, Peter and John, both noted, look at that. Did you, did you see they're, de- they're separate? It's not like your kid's room when they leave and it's, all their clothes are on the floor, just a big mess. You know, This one was folded. That's weird. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, that's all. Um, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, oh, rub it in. There you go. And after, and after one look, he believed. This is important. After one look, he believed. You have to catch that. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that prophesied that he was destined to rise from the dead. Two different personalities. Puzzled, Peter and the other disciple left and went back to their homes. It says John believed, not Peter. Not yet. Again, this is a different account, a different lens on the story. Here's the part I never caught last time. Mary arrived back at the tomb. She came back broken and sobbing. She stooped to peer inside, and through her tears, she saw two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head, one at the feet. Dear woman, why are you crying? They asked. Well, Mary answered, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. She still thinks, like, wouldn't angelic beings kind of be a hint to you that something big is going on? Would, you, would that not cross your mind for a millisecond? Nobody, linen cloths, angels. But no. She says, oh, where have they taken him? Totally oblivious. Then she turned around to leave, and there was... Jesus standing in front of her, but she didn't realize it was him. Isn't that bizarre? Do you remember the road to Amos, that story? The the guys were walking with Jesus, and Jesus, they couldn't tell it was him. Didn't know. Well, Jesus was standing in front of her, and she didn't realize it was him. And he said to her the exact same thing the angel said. Dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Hint, hint. <laughs> He's setting her up. Like, you, you got you to appreciate the humor of Christ. He created humor. You know that. Okay, because look around. Yeah. All right. <laughs> he created the humor. But here he's asking her the question, prodding her on. Um, then he said to her, oh, I already read that. Uh, and then Mary answered, thinking he was only the gardener, Sir, if you have taken his body somewhere else, please tell me, and I will go and marry Jesus, interrupted her. Turning to face him, she said, Rabbi, Aramaic for my teacher, 
Oh, Jesus cautioned her, Mary, don't, don't hold on to me now, for I haven't yet ascended to God, my Father, and he's not only my Father and God, but now he's your Father and your God. Now go tell my brothers and tell them what I've told you, that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This is the first time he calls his disciples brothers. In the book of John. This is huge. This is big. Because there's a revelation being given here. And every single revelation that comes after the resurrection is designed to make what is true believed. To help wash away doubts. Then Mary Magdalene left to inform the disciples of her encounter with Jesus. I have seen the Lord, she told them, and she gave them this, this, uh, his message. That evening, it uh, doesn't say they ran to go look. I would, wouldn't you? I'd, where, where is he? Where is he? But that evening, the disciples gathered together. And because they were afraid of the reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly, Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace to you. Or, in their culture, Hey guys. I'm serious. It, that, that's what peace to you means. It's a, it's a greeting. It's saying hi. Yo. Like, he could have gone boo. You know, that would have been more fun. But somebody had to translate it. So, anyway. There's no word for boo in Aramaic. And then he, sh- then he showed them the wounds of his hands and sighed. They were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. So he just does a quantum physics leap into the room. Boom. Walks through walls. However he did it, he appeared. <sighs> he freaked them out and gave them hope. And he showed them the wounds. Why? Because they're proof it is him. If Mary Magdalene didn't recognize him while he's standing right in front of her, I don't understand what was going on there. But here he had to confirm, confirm, confirm it was him. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. And he told them. This is, this is beautiful, by the way. This is to you and I as well, I think. We can, we can see this being spoken to us because it's, you'll get it. He said, just as the Father has sent me, I now am sending you. How did the Father send him? How did the Father send Jesus? Jesus abided in the Father. And now he's telling his disciples, abide in me. Go and walk in this abiding. Wow. And this next part, most of you won't remember. He says, then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins, and the people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. I don't like that translation much. I'll explain in just a moment. But this is, this is important. Where are we here? I think I... Yeah, good. He blew on them. And the same word here in the Greek is a Septuagint word, the Greek word, from Genesis that God breathed, blew into Adam and gave him life. Same word. So he blew on them to receive, 
believe, accept. The mirror translation says about this forgiveness thing, because this can confuse you, because wait a minute, I thought we have made it pretty clear we're forgiven and everyone's forgiven. Then you need to look at translations. You need to do some comparing. And in this context, I want to read you verse 23 uh, from four different translations. The mirror translation says, If you forgive someone's sins, they are gone and forgotten. If you don't let go, then you are stuck with them. Who's the focus on? Yeah. Nothing to do with God. This is for you. New American Standard Bible, the most uh, traditional study translation. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. You're hanging on. God's not going to do it for you. Remember that from the Lord's Prayer? We talked about if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. Really, it's about unbinding, uh, releasing the uh, bind, uh, the unfettering the chains that bind you. That's what that text is talking about. Same concept here. He's not going to do it for you. Young's literal translation is the hardest to read, but it's the most literal. It says, If any of ye may loose the sins, not lose, loose the sins, they are loosed to them. If any of ye may retain, they have been retained. If you don't let go, it's pretty simple. (laughs) They're not going to be let go. If I don't let go of James's hand when we shake hands, they're not let go. But I release when we shake a hand because it's what you do in our culture. You don't hang on too long. <laughs> right? In the same way with our forgiveness. When we forgive others. It's on us if we don't. We're the ones who suffer the consequences of not forgiving. Not the other person. We covered that for 13, 14 weeks uh, recently, if you remember that, that was a fantastic series. The message translation, I love this. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? <laughs> Isn't that great? Release, let go. It's a powerful, powerful text. Well, there was one guy missing in the uh, appearance where Jesus popped into the room, Thomas. Yep, the doubting dude. One of the 12 wasn't present with them when Jesus appeared to them. It was Thomas, whose nickname was the twin. So the disciples informed him, We have seen the Lord with our own eyes. Still unconvinced. Imagine that. All 11 are saying, Yeah, it happened. Right. You got to be pretty stubborn. You got to be. To, to, to not believe these guys, especially after seeing all the stuff you've seen for the last three years. Come on. Yeah, there's room for all personalities. See? Uh, there's no way I'm going to believe this unless I personally see the wounds of his nails in his hands and touch, with my, touch them with my finger and put my hand into his wound of his side where he was pierced. I'm not going to believe it. He pulls a teenage hissy fit. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Oh, wait, he was a late teenager. That's how old these disciples were. They were not old. Eight days later. I, I, I can't believe this. I, like When you read the story, you go, wow, do the math of timing and, and the little tiny details. It, the story is coming alive. Eight days later, Thomas and all the others were in the house together. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus suddenly stood before them Peace to you. (laughs) 
said, hello. Then looking into Thomas's eyes, put your finger here in the wounds of my hands. Here, put your hand to my wounded side and see for yourself. Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. Let's give Thomas some credit. It's easy to pick on Thomas, right? Easy. Oh, that's, that's a weakness. Well, no, it's not. Jesus, the first time he did that boo, he did a, 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 the evidence to them without them asking. They had the evidence. Thomas didn't. So let's not give Thomas such a bad rap, which then gives us room to doubt and question. It's okay. We've been told in churchianity that doubting is sin because it's the opposite of faith. No, it's not. It's called growing in your faith. Questioning, challenging, asking. Here, Jesus knows full well what was said when Thomas told his his fellow disciples, I'm not going to believe it until I touch and blah, 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 blah. Jesus knew that and showed up and right for Thomas, looked him in the eyes. Thomas, and I think he did it in the most loving, gentle way possible. Which is how Jesus deals with us. He has been consistent for all these weeks that we've been looking at the story of Christ and how he's lived and functioned and responded to people. He continues to be gentle. It's a powerful, powerful picture. Then the word spilled out of his heart. You're my Lord. You're my God. And Jesus responded, Thomas, now that you've seen me, you believe. But there are those who have never seen me with their eyes, but have believed in me with their hearts. And they will be, they'll be blessed even more. This next line was cool, because I'm trying to think, what, would, what could this possibly be in that room? Here's the line. Verse 30, Jesus went on to do many more miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not included in this book. Woo-wee, we could go to town on some theories. <laughs> what could he have done? Could he have made the bench float? Can you do it with two guys on? Yeah, okay. Okay, everybody on now. Like, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> uh, sorry, I got to stop. <laughs> And go sideways very quickly. But all that is recorded here is so that you will fully believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the Son of God, and that through your faith in him, you will experience eternal life by the power of his name. This is a powerful story. One more guy to go. Oops. Gone fishing. Later, Jesus appeared once again to a group of his disciples by Lake Galilee. It happened one day while Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, Jacob, John, and two other disciples were all together, and Peter told them, I'm going fishing. That's where he was called from. He was called from fishing. Will you be my disciple? And he left his nets and became a disciple. Now he's gone back to fishing. Ooh, interesting. And they all replied, we'll go with you. So he wasn't alone. They all joined him. <laughs> Maybe it was fun. How many go fishing just for fun? Yeah, exactly. See? Okay. They caught nothing all night. Experienced fishermen. 
The dawn came and Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was him. He called out to them, Yo, guys, catch anything? Nope, not a thing, they replied. Then Jesus shouted, Throw your nets on the starboard side. You'll catch some. What kind of idiot are you? By the way, it's not the right time to go fishing anymore. What? Fine. So they did. And as he said, they caught so many fish, they couldn't even pull in the net. <laughs> then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord, hint, hint. <laughs> when Peter heard him say that, he quickly wrapped his outer garment around him, and because he was athletic, he dove right into the lake to go to Jesus. The other disciples then brought the boat to shore, dragging their catch of fish. They weren't far from land, only about 100 meters. And when they got to shore, they noticed a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. I did not know Jesus was a baker. Maybe he had some fishing skills. Where'd that come from? He spoke to it. I don't know. Hey, listen, if he can take five fish and turn them into feed 5,000 or whatever, this is nothing. So the fishermen bring their fish. And he says, hey, bring me some of your fish. That was a weird question. So they brought the fish in. Turns out none of the nets ripped. The number one job fishermen do during the day when it's not time to fish is what? Mend their nets. They get torn all the time. The biggest catch and not a single tear. That's pretty cool. So let's have some breakfast, Jesus said. And not one of the disciples needed to ask who it was. Why is that line there? I'm not going to ask him. You're going to ask him. I'm not going to ask him. It's got to be Jesus. I know it is. I'm not going to ask him. You're going to ask him. I'm not going to ask him. Well, it's what it says. Come on. Because every one of them knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus came close to them and served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. After they had breakfast, this is the most beautiful part, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? That's a weird translation, isn't it? Almost sounds, mm, that's weird. But in Aramaic, the word love is huba. And the word huba means to set on fire. The Greek word here is there, yep. The Greek word here is agape. Do you love me? The traditional translations say, Peter, do you love me? And uh, Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know I have a great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs. Take care of my lambs, he says. Jesus repeated the question a second time. Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, and by the way, agape, do you love me? And then Jesus, and then um, <clears throat> Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep. First one was take care of my lambs. Now he says take care of my sheep. Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have a great affection for me? And Peter was saddened. By the way, this word affection is phileo. The other word, the friendship love. Isn't that cool? There's a bit of a switch here. Peter was saddened, being asked a third time, said, Lord, you know everything. You know I burn with love for you. And Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. Take care of my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter, listen 
when you were younger, you made your own choices. And you, were, and you went where you, go, where you pleased. But one day when you were old, others will tie you up and escort you to where, where you would not choose to go. And you will spread out your arms. Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And then he said, Peter, follow me. Then Jesus turned and saw the disciples whom Jesus loved following them. This was the disciple who sat close to Jesus at the Last Supper and asked him, Lord, who's the, who's the one that's going to betray you? So Peter saw him and asked, what's going to happen to him? Here's a lesson for all of us, by the way. Okay? What's going to happen to him? <laughs> Jesus replied, if I decide to let him live until I return, what concern of that is yours? You must still keep on following me. So the rumor started to circulate among the believers that this disciple wasn't going to die. But Jesus never said that. He only said, if I let him live in return, what concern is that, is that of yours? How much concern do we have about other people's business? How much concern do we have about questioning somebody else's faith, their motive of their faith, the depth of their faith? Well, they're not really believers. They're not strong. What concern of that is yours? Jesus is telling Peter, look to me only. This last act of love, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, is the gentle restoration of I deny, I deny, I deny of what happened before the cross. And the rooster crowed. Here Jesus comes, knows full well what this man needs as he is consumed with guilt. Shame. That's why he was sad the third time. He said, oh, crap, he doesn't believe I love him. <laughs> it's a reasonable thought. And Jesus restores him. That's what Jesus is good at. Everyone is restorable. There is hope for every single person. No matter how badly you think they are doing, what concern of that is yours? Just love. Keep your eyes on Christ. Listen to his voice speak to you. Not the voices of religion and making sure you tally up and keep your good behaviors and do your good duties. Be. Just be. Be loved. The story of Christ and his resurrection is powerful. Next week, we'll come back to the Acts story. Not next week. Next week's Mother's Day. Ooh, what's another acronym for Mother's Day here? Chocolate. Chocolate. See? Yes. There we go. Chocolate. So, see? People know. So, we'll have wonderful chocolate bars for all the ladies next Sunday. We don't do the flower thing. Well, today we do, but not, not Mother's Day. So, all right. Let's